Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. When I went to college at 18, I was real clear that I wanted to go into business. But then you have to choose a specialty, finance, marketing, supply chain. And even though I'm clearly a people person, it was a big old hell no to human resources. Because back in 97, I thought that was about forms and punishments and dress codes, stuff I was not at all interested in enforcing upon people. But it has changed since then. It's just a slow roll. And not all organizations have the structure for HR to evolve. Some with significant risk are still in that compliance mindset. But others are elevating. I'm glad that I kind of stumbled into the fun side of HR, learning. Because otherwise I'd be like poor Toby on The Office. Kind, creative, totally disillusioned in his job, where everyone hates him. Over the past few episodes, we shared the story of a specific group of change makers, the Women's Empowerment Network, a group of women in a very white, male-led organization. Their experience within this cultural environment is not unique. It's replicated over and over again in small groups and large conglomerates. But I'm not a culture or HR practices expert. So I wanted to talk to some actual experts about company culture, inclusion, and change. Today, we get to peek behind the curtain and hear from Em. She has 20 years of experience in corporate America, working with global brands and tech startups as a people and culture leader. Here's how she would describe not just her role, but the work that she does. You can call me the culture alchemist. Oh. My canvas is people, it's culture, it's organizations. I think I come in and I get a sense of what does this need? And then I go about making some magic happen, bringing things into fruition that people don't often think is possible. And I think I've done that enough in my career to believe that, yeah, I actually think I have a little bit of a magic wand or something, but it's really not. I also hope to become to be known as like the people's chief people officer. Mm -hmm. That's a song in my heart. What does a chief people's people officer mean? HR is such an important function in an organization. And I feel like depending on the company and the culture and the, and the industry, it plays different roles. But the role that I enjoy playing and I enjoy leading are really that function that helps the organization, the organism, the company made of many people to be as in shape, healthy, and effective as possible. You've got to align yourself with who are the majority which are the people, the people Tell doing me the what work. you mean by in shape. Oh, I mean, effective. I think effective is the right word because the effective is combination of effort producing a result that you intended for, to produce. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, every organ in your body has a role, has a purpose, and you want that organ to do its job effectively. You don't want it to use too much energy, glucose, whatever fuel, Uh, You want it to use the right amount of fuel to get the job done and do it well and do it in a way that's sustainably healthy. All right, I'm following. But I pushed back a bit on M. 
In our win series, I heard that HR was perceived as being for the company, not the employee. So are those two things at odds? At the end of the day, I do think it's HR's job to protect the company in the interests of the company. But the interests of the company are actually aligned with the interests of the employees. But what has been perverted is that the word company has been replaced with management as if there's some holy sacred cow. And really management should have the exact same mantle of I need to do what is best for the company and the company's best interest. And what's always within the company's best interest is treating their most valuable asset, which is employees, well. And when you've perverted that and you've created a us versus them dynamic or when you're protecting toxic managers or executives over the employee bot, you you absolutely have actually done the very thing that you're not supposed to, which is to put the company in jeopardy. So it is my belief that when I think broad strokes about my job is to protect the company, the translation in my mind is to protect the employee body, the organism, the organization, to do what's best for it, big picture. And managers are a tool to that regard, not the other way around. Hmm. That's a yeah. very different perspective than I've yeah. heard. <laughs> yeah. The WIN team seemed to face a lot of roadblocks from HR and leadership. So I'm attempting to ask him, what the hell is up with that? Flexible work. That was one thing WIN was working on that like could not get traction um, with HR. <laughs> Transparency around pay equity. Um, was another thing that they just like couldn't get any data from HR, couldn't like make any progress on that. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like those things happen? Mm-hmm. What do you think HR can do about it? Okay. So I think the one thing that all ERG folks out there need to understand is that there are few and far um, HR practitioners and professionals that have a healthy, positive mental model on how this type of work goes well and doesn't leave them holding the shit bag. Okay. Like one out of a hundred has that mental model. Mm -hmm. So you're already dealing with somebody who in their mind are racing through a thousand and one scenarios where this shit goes south, looks on the surface to be simple, but it is not. And If it doesn't go well, they've got the egg on their face. And that's just very unappealing and unappetizing to most HR folks. I think that's a really good point. And (laughs) can you give us an example of something like that, where like an HR person was trying to do something good and then the shit came down on their head that might kind of create this mental model? God, I mean, literally anything related to employee experience and policies, especially if the organization is not a hundred percent prime for it. When an organization had decided or when time or in a macro event happens and tells an organization, oh, you need to get a move on, you see what happens. All of a sudden, all things that were blocking just seem to fall away and like we're going full force gale here. Right. But when it is more of a top, bottoms up organic and kind of against the cultural norm and or 
the comfort level when you're when you're creating a new normal around something you just have right. to expect a lot of resistance because these things take time and i will give you a perfect example worked with a company who pride erg wanted to see people adopt the pronouns added to their signature okay it is 2020 this is old news this is such old news right but not for this company brand new as if it had just gotten released you <laughs> right. know 2020 yeah and they wanted to do the right thing and ended up being incredibly difficult it took them something very embarrassing like nine months to get that through mm -hmm. and when they finally did and we saw we started seeing it show up on, a, on like executive emails and mm -hmm. other things people were putting preferred pronouns mm -hmm. with the pronoun no <laughs> best intention in the world thought they were with it thought they were showing like they were getting it and they were waking up and like they were so yeah. proud immediate backlash mm -hmm. it's not a preferred pronoun it's just a pronoun no one prefers <laughs> to be like scolding yeah. lashing by the erg just an absolute lashing yeah no grace none and so uh -huh. while legitimately get it it was a faux pas <laughs> like yeah oopsie right. instead of seeing it as the baby step to the correct behavior it was immediately shamed and a ruckus was created it was just one more piece of evidence that like they don't get it mm -hmm. they don't care blah 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 and it, you know, like anything else with human nature, we don't have to feel that feeling often. We don't even have to feel it directly. We can see someone else feel that and not want to have, not want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. In HR, you times those small little things by a thousand. For every employee that loves one policy, there's another employee that frigging hates it. And the other thing you have to also appreciate is executives hate noise. They're allergic to it, like mm -hmm. pollen, cannot stand it. So again, operating from a place of fear most of the time. HR is trying to keep the noise down. Executives hate fear because if people are noisy about something, that means they're not being productive and they're not doing their work. And oh my God, we're descending straight into hell and all this chaos, which none of these things are true, but these are all the disparate narratives that are going on when it's just something that seems so simple on the surface. HR doesn't want to hold the shit bag, and execs don't want to hear the noise. So with that awareness, what can employee resource groups do? My advice for HR folks, and, and everybody, honestly, that wants to do work to make change, if you are not able to help people understand where you're taking them, you must anticipate more pushback. Because again, most are not operating with a mental model. They don't know where to place their trust. And all they know is they have a thousand and one examples of when this stuff has gone bad and mm -hmm. it's been a massive headache or a heartache for them. Right. So without a very clear plan that's mapped out that people can poke at, kick the tires on, you're gonna have a harder time. 
if I were starting up an ERG, I would want to understand how much blockage am I walking into? Do we have a high profile executive sponsor that can help grease the oil a little bit? Is there some natural excitement about this body of work or am I, am I climbing the whole thing uphill the entire way? Whatever you do, don't shame anyone. There's just not, it's just never going to end well when, when that's in the mix, even if they're, again, like I said, legitimate grievances, legit, mm -hmm. but it's not how change works in an organization because we are not out on the streets. We're not electing these people. These people are appointed, hired, paid lots of money to do this job. And you are an at-will employee and can be let go at any time. No one wants to do that, but that's the, we're, we're working under a different social contract in an organization than you are out in the streets and doing social justice. So it's, right, it's right. different and it has to be navigated differently. M is going to remind us of something that Amber mentioned last episode. And even though I hear it over and over again, honestly, I don't want to accept it. For some things, time is an underused ally. For something that would have felt like pulling a tooth without anesthesia a year ago, all of a sudden becomes the easiest thing you can do this year. Right. Right. Time is a really important factor in a lot of these changes. And people don't want to hear that because I know there's like, this needed to change yesterday and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it yeah. did. Like, absolutely. Finesse. Finesse. There is a way to get here. It may just take us a bit longer, but it will be, there will be less trauma and organizational scars once you're, once you arrive, than if you try to kind of coo your way through, because it just, they won't, the gatekeepers will not deal. They'll just shut it all the way down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent true. And also like the waiting, taking your time can also potentially be a trust breaker, right? If I'm on that pride ERG and I'm like, hey, everybody keeps calling me her and I use he, and this is really freaking annoying to me and maybe even more than annoying. Why, why can't we tomorrow start using pronouns so I don't have to deal with this shit, right? And then I have to wait nine freaking months for everyone to get on board. like. I, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to feel included. I'm not going to feel supported. I'm going to feel like you're dragging your feet on this, right? So. Amen. Absolutely. And said person should feel all those things, but said person is always in choice. There are a thousand other employers and probably ones that respect will be have given at the door. When we're talking about a change continuum where we are working organizations to, to become more woke and these organizations are steep and both the capitalistic as well as caste systems. They are literally, those are their foundations. They are not incented to go much faster. Some are there and we're all on a different place in that journey. And so I would say to that person, you are absolutely right. When I came in and I found it, it took nine months. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. But at the same time, the checks and balances here is the fact that this is voluntarily voluntary employment. If you do not feel like you belong, if you don't feel like the organization takes your concerns and your needs seriously, then it's not the place for you. It's kind of like being in a pissy romantic relationship where the person continues to be dismissive, never pays attention, doesn't carry their part of the load. And you're always yelling at them to do better. And they don't. 
leave. And just because you can see the potential in them and they're like, oh my God, you're like such a rock star if you would just do X, Y, Z, D, F, C, F, B. But they're not doing those things and they don't clearly don't care enough to do them. And you are always in choice. You can go and be employed someplace where that is part of the social contract from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, True. so... And it sucks because the organization is probably losing out on talent. They're probably losing out on somebody that could have been the next big idea. And that's, that is the value proposition for employee employers to wake up and get a going. Like that's the fire under their ass and in their belly they should have. And, you know, the early bird gets the worm. The the companies that get there faster um, and more authentically are going to attract better crop of talent. That's what's at stake. So That's the real sauce, my dear. (laughs) Real talk, real sauce. Let's talk about corporate culture. It was their kingdom and it was like Lord of the Flies. And if we happen to want to get in, you'd have to really be like a bro. In the Wind series, there were signs of a problem culture all around, but it seemed like it wasn't seen by decision makers. How can you see and diagnose what the problems are? I see super angry exit interviews. Mm-hmm. Like people are angry. It's not just like, ah, I'm annoyed. I didn't get the promotion and now I'm leaving and F you. I'm, you know, I'm getting the job I want someplace else. It's like this deep betrayed type of feeling of anger. <laughs> so that's that to me is a, a sign. Another sign is, the organization overly caters to a particular leader or function, and that seems to be out of fear because they are uncertain how that function or leader is going to react, and it's just easier to give them whatever it is they want than to stand up for principle or value, and it normally has is tied to somewhat importance of that function. I either, you know, in a tech company, it can be the engineering team and another type of company SAS, it could be the sales team just depends on your org structure, but there normally is this kind of super sacred cow leader and or organization that like is unpenetrable and they cause a lot of dysfunction and the rest of the organization are creating um, solutions that basically get around it and without having to address it. If you don't have a chief leader, like the CEO that the buck stops with, it's darn near impossible to really solve it because ultimately that behavior has been being allowed for a reason. And I'm sure that there are many skeletons in the closet of people who have tried to attempt to to fix it and died in the process. Bodies but, along the road. Uh, bodies, bodies up the hill. Yeah. It's kind of like Mount Everest. You know, people have died <laughs> trying to get to the top of that summit. But I do think that for some leaders, they just need evidence. And it's really hard to gather evidence on these types of organs in the organization that are not really effective because typically they're really good at managing up or again they're buffered by their the oversized or overvaluation of their function 
for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can come down simply to uh, the executive or the leader hired them and they put all their political stock into them and their capital or, and it's hard to admit that maybe you got that wrong. Um, and if you don't have a healthy feedback culture, it's even harder because you, you're typically, you've created a moat around yourself and feedback does not get to you. So a couple of things, skip levels. Leaders need to be having skip level conversations. It's a basic, but it is super telling. The longer that that doesn't go on, the easier for bad behavior to develop and stick. So for non-HR people, what does a skip level mean? Uh, It's when a leader talks to their direct report, who typically manages others, their direct reports. So Mm -hmm. they go down uh, below their direct report and engage with those people to see how things are going. And you cannot do skip levels in a vac. Like you can't just like pop up and be like, hey, tell me what's going on because people will not tell you what's going on. You Through consistency of doing it and demonstrating that you are not going to react in any way to what they might be sharing, you're going to take a measured response over time. They will absolutely tell you what's going on. The other thing is when you do engagement surveys, like people call them like employee satisfaction or employee engagement surveys. I hate that title. I think it is such a small slice of what's happening. I think you should be doing organizational health and effectiveness surveys Mm -hmm. of which employee satisfaction is an element. But what you're also trying to get at is, again, organism, how are the organs within the organization working well together? So one of the things that I've deployed are questions that allow employees to rate the collaboration or partnership with different functions in the organization. So that starts to paint a real clear picture about where there might be some blockage uh, happening, like some constipation in one area. <laughs> yeah. Or, or literally like metastasize, like a, like it's a cancer, like, yeah, nobody wants to deal with them because it, it's right. super difficult. And through data and through skip levels, through exit interviews, there can be a a pattern that emerges. And one of my favorite questions to executives are, and what you've heard, what you've heard and what you've seen, if even just 25% of it is true, throw away 75% of it, even if just 25%, are you okay with that? And they're like, oh, fuck, no. I'm not okay with that, even if it's only 25% true. Because a lot of people want to be like, not 100% true, so I can't act on it. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be 100% true. Because even if only 25% true, there's something that you know, it's kind of like the iceberg. What I'm seeing is only the tip. The rest of it is like, oh, a hot ass mess. And I actually had just that conversation with the CEO I used to work with a couple years ago, who had every justification to not deal with what seemed to be an emerging issue with a leader. And as they walked me through what they had learned, the ultimate question I asked was, even if 25%, half of what you've learned is true, is that okay? And they're like, oh my God, no, like not at all. is an HR leader that pursues data that will show the health of an organization, and she'll push leaders to take that information seriously. 
But what I've seen is that complaints are interpreted as an isolated issue, when in reality there are many people who feel the same way. There's just too much fear to speak up. You can feel the palpable fear of those with lesser power to not say anything that keeps their mouths shut, that don't want to be the person that has to carry the burden to say this is fucked up because either just like a cult, they're like, I need the friends. This is my life for jobs. It's like, I need the money. I need to be right. able to pay for my life. But it's the pressure to stay small and keep the perversion or the um, abuse hidden. Right. Is so strong. It's so strong. And it's, I just, it, it plays out in corporate America. Right. Like corporate America, the world's biggest cult. <laughs> I never went to HR necessarily because I heard that that did nothing. So it's left to the one or two people with ovaries of steel to speak up. How do you get down to the truth and really take people seriously about what their experience is? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, you know, I am at my core kind of an optimist and real. Like I do believe the best of people and their potential. But when it comes to like organizations and what I've seen, I tend to be, I err more on the realistic kind of scientific side of things. Like where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's a whiff, there's a pile. Like take, pick your analogy. <laughs> and that's because a couple of things tend to be true. One or two people probably mean up to a dozen more that feel that way, but are not feeling brave or safe enough to say something. I've also seen, you know, the bystander effect. If it's not happening to me, even if I see a leader, a manager, it doesn't even have to be a leader or a manager. It could literally be just a really gnarly individual contributor that people, you know, handle with care. As long as it's their, their ire is not directed at me, I'm not going to say anything. So there's a right. lot of reasons that people stay quiet. When it comes to managers, I, I often find that the root of things have to do with their lack of confidence or competence in managing performance issues on their team. So that's another indicator to me that there's something worth investigating here. Uh, in fact, I think Gallup said that only two out of 10 managers are actually equipped with the modern day skills and competencies to be a really effective manager, leaving uh, one to two more can be sort of trained kind of like a chihuahua, sort of mm -hmm. trained. Sure. Uh, and the rest are just ha should have no business being in a, a people manager capacity. So that leaves quite a bit out there wreaking havoc. Mm -hmm. So when these things come up, I tend to believe them. I tend to believe them. And then I go have further conversations because it doesn't take much to start to uncover there be a pattern if you're even interested in discovering it. And I'm not looking for confirmation bias. I'm not looking for something. I'm actually looking for things that disprove it or prove it. Right. But normally I have found that most people are not psychotic and they're not looking to destroy another person's life just cause with right. no justification. If anything, by the time someone does speak up, that means that there's been a tremendous amount of harm. Uh, and trauma done. Mm -hmm. and, and then that just goes back to the culture. Is the culture such that 
remedies can be put in place that reduce or eliminate that trauma. And that could be a couple things. Can this problematic person, they're probably suffering too, to be honest. They're probably suffering because the role is ill fit. They don't have the competencies, they don't have the skills, and they're just operating completely out of fear and scarcity mindset going through most of their work and, mm. and causing havoc. And most likely is not fit. They don't have the skills fit. So is there another place in the organization that they can go and thrive? with clarity about their their social behavioral skills that need to be changed right another one that i've seen work on on a situation which i thought was not repairable was to do a restorative conversation between two people oh and it was a lot of investment but it worked they still have a good working how did they get there (laughs) well one they had to trust that I was being an objective party, that I was actually doing it in both of their best interests. It required one of them to be humble. It required the other one to let go of her cancel culture mindset and both appreciate that the behavior that they were engaging in was negatively impacting the entire team. Mm -hmm. So while one, one was perpetrating more damage than the other, both we're creating a really uncomfortable environment for the team. And so those things mm-hmm. had to be true and there had to be appetite in the organization for that to be fixed. And in the organization I happened right. to be in, I was more or less the moral compass. So I was able to just kind of make that call and it worked out, but there would be other organizations where regardless of my skill and in, in facilitating something like that would never work because, you know, they're out for blood. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Often when somebody's bringing a grievance so serious to HR that they're they're willing to kind of stick their neck up to say, hey, something's not right, something's not okay. I feel like they're often met with some standard packaged BS, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that BS flows two different yep. ways. It flows in a way that is overly defensive of the person that is in the spotlight or it's overly placating, I think, to the person who is bringing the grievance and may maybe could benefit from some straight talk. Mm-hmm. I love straight talk. <laughs> it's like handing out power-up juice. Uh, <laughs> it's like, just take a shot of this, okay? Um, the straight talk can take on a variety. It depends on what the issue is, but I've literally you know, had all kinds of different types of straight talk, but sometimes it's like, listen, here's the organization that we work in. Here are the motivations that are going. These are the structures that you're going up against. You're either going to have to have patience, try a different tact, or you're going to have to consider leaving because this isn't the place for you if you're not willing to do the other things. We cannot fix this overnight. And there's some responsibility in that that you have to take. I've had the same conversation about people who feel like they're not getting promoted and feel like they're being blah, 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 by their manager or whatever. And, and so not in a first conversation, again, I always am trying to look at patterns here. I've had many a straight talk that's like, listen, you've been in this organization for six or seven years. It's probably time to try on a new challenge, not because we want you to leave, not because you're not valued, but you're, you're reaching a place in your, your development where you're plateauing and you're having a repeated behavioral right. pattern here that 
this is one viable option to break it. Um, right, so that's right. a bit of straight talk. Another one is, you know, I just had this with some very passionate, but disillusioned and despairing ERG leaders. They were really angry about what had and had not been done. Uh, and the roughly um, seven to nine months prior to me joining. And they were up in arms. I mean, it was like a proverbial village with like pitchforks. They were ready to take the castle. They were pissed just about everything, like <laughs> everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I sent an email to them when I decided to take, that I was going to take this body of work over. And I said, your grievances are real. I see them. I feel them. They are real. And we're going to fix them. It's going to take time because this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So more real talk. I also said, don't. I mean, my words are pretty. I have pretty words. I have pretty words for days. I'm like, but don't listen to my words. Watch me. Watch what I do. Judge me by that. Then I said, the thing I need to ask you, though, is why you're doing this work to begin with. Whatever that reason was in the beginning, I need you to go back and find it. And I need you to take, you know, take a real good look to ask yourself, is it still true? Is that still true for you? And can you recommit your energy in a more productive way? And if the answer is yes, then I'm, I'm damn excited to have you on the journey. But if it's no, I get it. You're burnt out, you're disillusioned, you're angry, and you're of no use, frankly, when you're in that space. Um, maybe you can come back when you're in a better headspace, when you've seen more things happen that give you more hope. You will not be disgraced because of that. You will not be shamed because of that. It is absolutely, you know, the righteous, healthy thing to do is for you to call it and say, I need to tap out. And some people had to. But that's the kind of real talk I feel like nobody in HR is really trying to have. Right. And that's like my specialty. I love real talk. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. I mean, I feel like some of my most impactful coaching conversations have been when the person chooses to leave the organization. Mm-hmm. It's like when that light bulb goes off and they go, oh my God, you're right. I'm not growing here. I don't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to get the F out of here. Like the those conversations are great. Yeah, yeah, it is. And giving them permission. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think part of it though is you you can't denigrate or or, or dismiss the reality of their experience you it has to be like this yes it sucks you are damn skippy right but what are you going to do about it because Mm -hmm, we're in choice ultimately you want to continue tolerating it Mm -hmm. and trying to do something or you want to get out of here for your own mental health amen (laughs) because at the end of the day that's most important honestly i feel like if there are probably cells in my liver that wish i they could be like and we're out We're out of here. We don't need to. (laughs) We're done. Right. Due to all the issues we've already talked about, ERG burnout is real. Members do it out of the goodness of their hearts, but they get very tired. That passion fizzles and bitterness can set in. But recently I had an opportunity to recognize some of our core group of people that have been on this journey for the longest with just a nominal little spot bonus. After taxes, it's not not a whole lot to write home about, I have to say. 
but you would have thought that I had rained down the Mega Millions lottery on <laughs> oh, them. Oh, I love basically. that. Yeah, every single one of them. I don't do this for compensation. I do it because I'm so passionate about the work and this is just a giant cherry on top. Yeah, because I have seen that over and over again. People that serve in the board of ERGs put so, so much work into it and it's like they have to get their day jobs done too. So it's just on top of your day jobs. And then it feels like what you get back is n not, yeah, <laughs> it's less than nothing, right? It's like leaders and other folks are not necessarily grateful for any of the efforts they do. So anyways, I love that idea, bonus. Some companies might not be in a place to do the bonus at all. But yes. two other things that are free 99 that they can do. And I'm talking about they as in terms of people who own this piece of their DEI work. Yeah. When we uh, identify a new board member, as you called it, to a, an ERG, we send out an email to them and their manager. That's a welcome email. So happy that you're here. And by the way, manager, you're here too, because you're supporting this person. And the best way to support all of us in this work is to set clear expectations. So it then lists out what their roles and responsibilities are on the particular ERG and the board role they're playing, how much time a manager could expect that they will be investing in this work mm -hmm. month mm -hmm. over month. And the fact that at the end of the year, when we do performance evaluations, said manager will receive feedback on what they were able to, that member was able to achieve over the course of the year. And so that, we do like, all three of those things. Brings a tear to my eye. That's just so wise. <laughs> yes. Even, even that is just acknowledgement of the effort the person is putting in. And back to your point about trust and transparency, right? The manager kind of has to be bought into that too, because they know what's happening and what the expectation is. I know. It's so cool. And then... <laughs> The last piece we put in is governance over top of all of that, because then that elevates the whole thing. Cause now they know, okay, I'm said manager, Susie's on this board for an ERG. Do I feel awesome about it? I don't care as long as she gets her regular day job done, but yay for her, whatever. Oh, but now I find out Susie is representing her ERG on a council where there are other executives. They vote on things that affect the whole company and there are meeting minutes published and she has a voting role there. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Now we just took it up a level. And that's why I went back to structure. Structure is so important. We're going to leave you with some advice and it starts with finesse. You know, I think really my question is about speaking up, like the whether you're an HR leader speaking to a CEO or whether you're a member of a women's ERG speaking up to, uh, you know, their manager who may be behaving poorly. How do you do that? Oh, it's so good. I love this word finesse. It is like my new favorite word because I'm still seeing a lack of it. <laughs> and also it is an underused political tool in an organization because politics ex exists whether you like it or not. I mean, we just have to accept Ew. that fact. Yes. You put more than two people in an organization and boom, you've got politics. 
but the beautiful part about politics is that it inherently is not a bad word. It's how it's used. So over political people, narcissistic people, ego driven people give it a bad name. And then you've got the under political people who are just always grumbling because their idea didn't get accepted or they're not getting promoted, but they've forgotten that relationships are as important as what they're producing. And right. Yeah. Like the, the self-righteousness of a good individual contributor, subject matter expert is like no other. And I know that because I have been <laughs> one of those people. <laughs> I have been, True. I was the most under political, uh, <laughs> like I, my work you. should matter just because it's awesome all by itself over here in the dark, dingy corner that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. So finesse, I think comes into play because at the end of the day, nobody's, most people are not trying to be assholes. Okay. You do have to start from this premise that like, people aren't coming to work just to piss on the little guy. However, there are a lot of blockers for people to be able to do what's right for various reasons. Fear plays a big role. I think most leaders are operating every single day from a place of fear. Every decision they're making is informed from like an, oh fuck. (laughs) Even though they may not, it might not be cognizant to them, I, I just I just fundamentally believe that. So you have to accept that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of noise that's happening for people. And what I see too often with folks that are super passionate, regardless of the topic, is they fire off self-righteous emails, slacks, whatever, carrier pigeon notes, and you know, in there just awesome words and just zinging them left and right. And it really backs that person all the way into a corner because you basically set the scenario that I am right and righteous and awesome and you are wrong, bad, and the devil. Mm -hmm. And no one wins in that scenario. And if you think of Lord of the Rings, even Gollum had an important positive role to play in moving the plot along (laughs) in that movie. He died in the end, but that's his (laughs) karma. Anyways, the finesse, in my opinion, is to see the humanity in one another and really come at it like, here's the problem, here's you and me, and here's the problem, and it's outside of both of us. The problem's not in you, the problem is not in me. This is it over here. And I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna allow you to save face. I'm not gonna blast you in an email. I'm not gonna blast you on a reply all. I'm not gonna blast you in a meeting. I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm gonna do this often. I don't know how many times, in the beginning I was telling you about that very, angry mob of people that I would get emails just firing off and occasionally trying to rip me a new one. And I'm like, I just got here. I know I'm not responsible (laughs) for anything that just happened. Oh, your role. Never replying via email, picked up the phone video, essentially. I was like, yeah, I got your email. Um, Talk to me about that. What's going on? What are you? And 9.9 times out of 10, that person is so disarmed because I didn't hit them back with fury. Right. That they're like, oh, uh, well, actually I'm having a real shit week and um, I'm just tired. This seems like a pattern that we can't stop. And then you you ask this question and you think it's benign, but like actually is this whole other thing. And so I just think there are many moments 
essentially finesse comes down to seeing the humanity in another person. And if you, if this were your friend, would you do these things to them? Probably not Mm -hmm. put them on blast, Mm -hmm. set them up to like to have to wear the shame hat, um, make it a dichotomous. If I'm right, you're wrong. That's essentially the essence of finesse is Mm -hmm. there is a mutual, there could be a mutual win-win outcome here that makes me look good. and makes you look good. And I'm always trying to pivot people to that. Don't look at me. I'm not looking at you. Let's pivot over here. And like, we have an opportunity to create something that has us both smelling good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to afford you that opportunity. Yeah. And it rarely is overwritten communication. I learned very quickly the power of hearing someone's voice and offering them a way to navigate through this that did not make them wrong or bad. Finesse. Yeah, finesse. Or uh, Mm. what is it? When they go low, we go high. (laughs) Going high means picking up the phone. (laughs) I actually think in this case, it, it might even be when they go low, you provide them the path to go high yeah i'm like and the on-ramp <laughs> yes you provide them an on-ramp that is it yeah yes that's it yeah that's, that resonates i saw it too i was like in my mind like come up like come on up here <laughs> lighter and brighter and happier yeah mm-hmm. now sometimes people don't take the bait and they don't give a shit um and then that's when you do have to go high and they go low but if, if you consistently continue to treat them with some shred of their humanity, they normally come around, they unfall a bit, they let that guard down a bit. Maybe not forever, not for always. And if they're a narcissist, they'll always be a narcissist, but they'll stop seeing you as a threat, therefore pay, not, they'll stop paying you the attention yeah. and they'll focus right. their energy on somebody else. M's pretty clear that to build a healthy and effective culture, we're all in it together. Each organ has an equal role to play. HR leaders need to be listening to their most important asset, the people who do the work. Leadership should be actively pursuing feedback from employees and taking their concerns seriously. ERG members and those who want to make change have to be realistic about the blockages in an organization and use their feet to leave if they're not receiving the respect that they deserve. And the best way to approach poor behavior within a company is through finesse, providing the other person a generous on-ramp to make things right. And M's clear about one thing, HR requires courage. There should be like a courage test you have to pass. Like there's a competency in our favorite FYI competency book, the competency to stand alone. There should be some type of test, like neurological, biological, like some fucking, like cannot fake this test. You have to have the fortitude to hold the line because it. I think the stakes are that high. If you want to know more about M from a personal perspective, listen to episode number 40, Living Wild and Wonderful. And if you like this track, it's by my bored but not boring partner, Aaron. Aaron.